Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and we are back with the Big Ten preseason breakdown. Uh, and we had a little bit of a technical difficulty getting Iowa up. Uh, so it's going to look like Iowa's coming in first, Rod, but actually uh, Iowa is on the ranking at four. Um, so we have them before Michigan State um, uh, at, in the four position. So it'll be Iowa, Michigan State, um, Illinois, and then or then uh, Wisconsin. Um, so Rod, uh, Iowa goes twenty and eleven last year, eleven and nine in the Big Ten. Um, they have a Ken Palm ranking of 23 and a net of 34. Uh, and of course they bring, um, Luca Garza back, uh, which was a big return for them. Uh, and a lot of people have them picked to win the big 10. Um, what are your thoughts on Iowa? Yeah. And, and they're also a popular pick, uh, as a potential final four team. I, I just don't see it. And, and the, and it's not to say that I think they're going to have a bad year. And it's not even to say that they won't contend in the Big Ten because I think they will do both of those things. But to put them as a favorite and to put them in the top five nationally, as I've seen a lot of people do, to me ignores some pretty compelling history. The last team, the only team, in fact, of the Ken Palm era, to win a Big Ten championship and be even close to Final Four caliber uh, that had a similar profile to what Iowa had last year, and I'm assuming that it doesn't change a lot this year, was 2014 Michigan. That's it. Mm-hmm. But but the thing you got to keep in mind is Michigan that year wasn't just the best offensive team that season they were one of the truly elite teams of the last 20 years on offense. So, and and their defense was at least marginally better than Iowa's was last year. So to me, if you're going to put Iowa where a lot of people have, one of two things has to happen. Either they've got to get significantly better defensively, which I don't hold out a lot of hope for, or 
their offense can't be just really, really good, which it was last year. They were number six in the country. Mm -hmm. It's got to be not even the best in the country this year will likely do it. It would have to be historically good in order for it to overcome that level of defense. So one of those two things has to happen. Uh, I don't think either of them is very likely, and that's why I've got them fourth in the league. I think they'll be a very competitive fourth. It might very well be that they're fourth, and that puts them one game out of a, a championship. You know, it could be that tight uh-huh. as it was last year. But I just don't see it. I don't see reasons to think that this team is going to do either of those things. I think a lot of people, I can tell when the analysis is pretty superficial. And and when the emphasis is on, well, they bring all these guys back, plus they bring back two other guys who were starters early in the year and got hurt. And one of those guys was runner-up for National Player of the Year last season, is the favorite this year. That equals Big Ten champ, Final Four contender, right? Mm. Oh, not not <laughs> if you do the work. I don't think so. Okay, Um so if we look at players lost um, from the team they had last year, um, Ryan Creener, 6'9", power forward, um, and he had pretty much his best season as a senior, averaging 7.7 points a game, 4.1 rebounds in 18 minutes. Yeah, and, and he he really did make the kind of progression that you want to see. in a player, he went from a guy early in his career, he was what I call a try-hard guy, which is – a guy that's big and physical and plays with a good motor, but has kind of good skills. So they just kind of throw their body around and maybe they make a, something, something happen that way, but they, they don't do a lot. He went from that kind of player to a guy for a stretch at least last season where he was legitimately good. I mean, he ended up shooting 33% from three on the year, but there were stretches where he was better than that. And, and I think, you know, they had, they had lost Tyler Cook a year early. He left a year early. And then they had the projected starter, Jack Nunn, the guy we'll talk about, got injured, I think, after the fifth game of the season. So they really needed somebody to step up in that four spot. And Kreiner was the guy and he gave him a credible presence there. So he'll, he'll be missed. He was, he was a guy who definitely contributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Cordell Penzel, uh, elects to transfer to Virginia Tech. Uh, and he was getting 2.8 points a game, 3.2 rebounds in 13 minutes uh, a game last year. Yeah, you know, and it's a, a little bit unfortunate that he didn't hang around because I think, I don't think he'll ever be the shooter that Kreiner was, but he would give them some of the other things, that big body, good motor. Pencil was a guy who really kind of got derailed by injuries. If you look early in his career, he was pretty impressive. Um, you know, again, not, not a world beating skill set, but he could finish around the rim. He was a big body, played hard. Um, you can get some things done that way. And, and I thought he was off to a good start with his career and then he kept getting hurt. And by the time he would get healthy, some other guys, you know, guys like Garza, for example, Kreiner, had kind of passed him in the rotation. So he was never able to get himself firmly reestablished. So I understand why he made the move, but I think it would have helped Iowa to have another body they could rely on inside. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it would be like a 12 to 15 minute a night roll, 
it would be nice to have a senior in that spot. Mm. Uh, and then Bakari Evelyn um, was averaging 3.7 points in about 18 minutes last year. Yeah, they brought him in late because they were unsure what uh, Jordan Bohannon's health was going to look like. Bohannon had had surgery on a hip, and all summer long it was touch and go whether he was even going to play. He decided to play, played about 10 games, and then stopped playing at surgery on the other hip. Um, Evelyn was brought in because they felt like they needed an insurance policy, and as it ended up, the he averaged 18 minutes a night, so they did use him. Uh, Detroit area kid was never really a huge impact player. He bounced around a little bit, started his career at Nebraska, um, transferred. I'm forgetting where he was before Iowa, but then he, eventually Iowa was his third school as a grad transfer. Um, you know, not, not great production, but he was brought in to play a particular role, kind of as an insurance policy and to help uh back up Toussaint and he, you know, he did that reasonably okay, but they should be able to replace those minutes pretty decently if, if everybody's healthy. Mm. Uh, so then we get to the returning players, which starts with Luca Garza, uh, 6'11", 260 pounds senior. Um, didn't look like he was probably going to get drafted despite being uh, one of the best players in the college uh, game last year. Uh, 23.8 points a game, 9.8 rebounds, 54 from the floor, 36 from three, and 65 from the line. Yeah, look, you can't you can't argue with the production, and I think Luca Garza is Exhibit A as to how radically at times the college game and the pro game can diverge. Um, you know, we saw it with you know Michigan State fans with Cassius Winston. You know, thankfully for Cash, he did end up getting drafted, but mm. he got drafted on the back end of the second round, right? And that's a guy who won a Big Ten player, kind of similar to Garza, won a Big Ten player of the year and was right in the mix nationally as a junior, and then had a senior year that was really, really good as well. In terms of college production, you can't argue with what Cassius Winston did, but he had a lot of guys at his position drafted ahead of him mm. who, frankly, at least in terms of their college output, couldn't carry his jock. And there are reasons for that. And I think Cash will overcome those limitations, but uh, it goes to show you how I think increasingly what can work in the college game doesn't project as a professional, at least at the NBA level. And Luca Garza is exactly in that situation. You, to have a guy put up the numbers he did and make the correct decision in not declaring early is remarkable. And I, and I emphasize that. I think he did make the correct decision because I don't think he was going to get drafted. Mm. You know, again, a guy like Xavier Tillman, for as good as he is and as well-suited as I think a lot of people believe he is for the modern game, he still went, what do you go, 35? Yeah, fifth, fifth 35. pick, second round. Yeah. Uh, given that, man, Luca Garza had no business getting drafted. <laughs> you know? and, and here's the reason why. He Offensively, he's got a lot of things you like. He plays extremely hard all the time. He's increasingly developed consistency facing the basket. That 36% from three 
is a good number. It won't shock me if he's even a little better than that this year. He's good. If I can hit the mid-range, he's got a good post game. Again, because he's constantly moving, he's effective around the rim, and he's 2'6'11", 2'60". So he's got all of those things you like, but he is a truly horrific defensive player. And he gets exploited at the college level. At the next level, in the NBA, it would be nightmarish. Mm. And I think that's why he may not have a future in the NBA. I mean, I think, you know, we'll see what kind of season he has. Maybe he gets drafted next year, but I'm going to be shocked if it's as a first-rounder. And I think he's going to have a hard time. Because I, with him, it's not technique or want to necessarily, I don't believe. I think it's just physical limitations. I don't think he's got the, the footwork. I don't think he's got the lateral movement to be an effective defensive player in, at the next level. At this level, I also think it's a problem. He's You quoted the numbers, and they're spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. And I would be very surprised if he doesn't put up similar numbers or even better this year. I personally would not make him a, def- a player of the year, even in the Big Ten, because to me – if you're at his position, it's not like point guard. You can make a case for Cassius Winston, despite the fact that he was not a great defensive player, because he ran his team. He was so involved in everything his team did. Mm-hmm. Garza can't do that because he's a five. So I think with him, the inability to defend looms larger than it does for a point guard. And and to me, I, you know, if you want to talk about him as the best offensive player in the league, I'm not arguing. He'll probably be right at the top in the rebounding charts too. But defensively, he is a liability. And, you know, teams, the the one saving grace for him is that last year, virtually every Big Ten team had a heavyweight center. I mean, there were so many good fives in the conference. We, we've talked about it through all these previews. You know, we bring up guys like Trace Jackson Davis and, and Wesson and, uh, you know, Miles Johnson, Rutgers, guys who had good. And we talk about them last year as afterthoughts because there were so many other guys mm-hmm. who were great. A lot of those guys have left, not all of them, but enough of them that Garza's challenge on a night in, night out basis may not be quite the same. But there are nights he's going to get challenged. And I, I just, I don't like what he does defensively. <laughs> so that's, he is, he is a huge asset for them. On offense, he is a huge liability on defense. That's how I look at it. Mm. Uh, so then they bring back Joe uh, Wieskamp, 6'6", junior, 14 points a game last year, 6.1 rebounds, uh, 43 from the floor, 35 from three, and 86 from the line. Uh, but maybe a little bit of a step back from what people were expecting from Wieskamp last year. Not, I don't, yeah, a little bit of a step back. His shooting declined. I think his production was okay. It's just that heading into last season, if you were looking at Iowa's roster and you were picking one guy who was going to explode and become a first team all league guy, maybe even a conference player of the year, most people probably would have gone with Wieskamp instead of Garza. And Garza was the guy who took that leap. Um, Wieskamp is capable of making that jump. And I think if you're optimistic, on Iowa, it probably centers in a lot of cases around that thought that you think that Joe Wieskamp is going to take the next step, and he could. I'll, I'll put it this way. If Iowa's going to meet 
those expectations, he has to. They can't meet them if he has a season like he had last year. He needs to shoot the ball better. I just felt he drifted at times. I just didn't feel like he was as imposing as he was as a freshman, where it seemed like he was constantly engaged. I didn't get that sense consistently last year, and so that was a problem for Iowa. Mm -hmm. But um, very capable player, can do everything you want offensively, good rebounder. Um, not a great defensive player, but on a team of bad ones, he might be near the top, <laughs> um, which doesn't say a lot, but he's better than Garza. Mm. Uh, and he also offers him positional versatility. I'm not sure yet, even at this late date, what I was going to do. I know that Wieskamp is going to start. My only question is, does he start at the three or do they use him as a small ball kind of four mm. if they wanted to start? I think it hinges on whether you want to start Nunge at the four or you want to start Bohannon at a wing spot. I think that's what it hinges on. But Wieskamp is going to be a starter. It just depends on where. Yeah. Uh, and then C.J. Frederick, 6'3", redshirt sophomore, um, who averaged 10.2 points a game last year, 49 from the floor, 46 from three, and 80 from the line. Uh, you know, another one will say a lot with these guys. He giveth on offense, he taketh away on defense. Bad defender, but man, can he shoot. He is, in my mind, the two best shooters coming back in the Big Ten are Frederick and uh, Myron Jones at, at Penn State. And they're the two best for the same reason. They're not only very accurate, but they both have decent size. Frederick was like 6'3", and they have incredibly quick releases. When you've got a quick release, man, that's a big part of the battle because it means that you don't need the same kind of window yeah. to get a shot that other guys might need. Michigan State was fortunate that the game they played Iowa last year, they played them once, it was at Breslin, Frederick missed. He was hurt, so MSU fans didn't get a chance to see him, but believe me, he is the truth as a shooter. And, and so what I was counting on is they're going to have Garza as that post presence down low who's just going to suck in defensive attention and then they've got a bunch of shooters on the arc frederick being first of equal among equals um who are going to damage you it, it kind of if it's going right it should look a little bit like purdue did um in recent seasons where they were contending for championships hmm. where you've got you've got that post presence that sucks everybody in trying to deal with them although Garza's better than any produced post guys were. And then you got just a bunch of shooters that are going to be there to take open shots that result from that. Uh, so then you got Connor McCaffrey, one of the two uh, coaches' sons on the team, 6'6", junior, um, 6.2 points a game, 34 from the floor, 34 from the three, and 78 from the line. Yeah, I, I like him. He made strides last year. He was a total non-shooter as a freshman, and – he got to be decent last year, and that's all he needs to be. He just needs to be a credible threat. He's, you know, he's good for this team because, again, with Garza attracting so much attention, they don't necessarily need a super like a Winston or a Xavier Simpson, you know, one of these guys or, or um, the kid at Minnesota. Um, they don't need one of these super creators. Because mm -hmm. McCaffrey really isn't that. He's just a guy who moves the ball well and doesn't make mistakes. His assist-to-turnover ratio 
was tops in the country among guys who played enough minutes to qualify. I think it was like, I don't know, four and a half to one, five to one, something like that. Crazy number. So he plays mistake-free basketball in that way. He's got good size at 6'6", so that helps him see some things. And again, now he's improved to the point he can hit the occasional shot. Can't check anybody, but what's new? (laughs) Offensively, I think he's really good. His presence also allows a guy like Bohannon, I think, coming off pretty serious injuries, to at least have a chance because I don't think Bohannon's going to have to play much at all at the point. So it reduces the scope of what he's got to do. He can really just focus on hunting shots, mm-hmm. you know, and not have to take on that additional burden because McCaffrey and other guys can handle the point most likely. Uh, and so then you mentioned the point. Joe Toussaint comes back um, coming off a freshman uh, season where he had to play a little bit of Bohannon's minutes when he went down. Uh, Six-foot sophomore, he averaged 6.5 points a game, 38 from the floor, 30 from three, and 83 from the line. You know, he he gets some grief from people who focus on analytics and on a team that was very, very efficient offensively. He was at the bottom of, of that analysis. But I like him prospectively because I think he gives Iowa some elements they don't otherwise have. He's reasonably quick. Um, that's something they don't have a lot of, you know, really above average athleticism. And, and I think he plays with kind of a, a chip and a toughness that I can envision him maybe being passable defensively at some point, which again, they don't have a lot of. Uh, he's not proven to be a great shooter yet. He's not a, a great creator, but I think this year he's probably likely to play less. I think he's going to have his minutes dialed back a little bit, and that'll probably help. That plus the year of experience under his belt will probably help him maybe be a little more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jordan Bohannon is back after surgery on uh, both hips last offseason. Um, only played in 10 games, uh, but averaged 8.8 points a game, 30 from the floor, 33 from three, and uh, 100% from the line. Yeah, you know, the the shooting numbers you just mentioned, I think, were enough evidence of what was going on. If Anybody who's shot basketball in their life knows that to be a good shooter, a lot of it has has to do with what's going on below the waist. You know, and when you have surgery on not one but two hips, I can understand how it might impact your shooting. So Bohannon's a guy we would come to expect to be, at the worst, a high 30s three-point shooter, maybe even better than that. And for him to shoot 33% told you that something wasn't quite right. So he was probably made the right move to shut it down, get surgery on the other hip, and, and go from there. Here's the thing. Uh, the only guy in recent memory I can think of who had surgery on both hips in the space of a year in the Big Ten is Spike Albrecht. And if you remember, most people's memories of Spike Albrecht probably center around what he did at Michigan. But he played a year at Purdue as a grad transfer. And that was after the hip surgeries. And Michigan had said, hey, we don't have room for you. That's why he transferred to Purdue. Michigan was correct. He didn't play well at Purdue. And I think a lot of, you know, I mentioned a lot of the hype 
with Iowa is, is around certain elements. And one of them is that, hey, they've got these two guys coming back who were going to be big parts of the team last year, didn't play at all, and the team was still reasonably good. How good are they going to be with a year of experience and those guys back? That sounds nice, but when you look at the injuries that those two guys, particularly Bohannon, dealt with, coming back off two hip surgeries, I don't think it's a sure thing at all that he's the same guy. Before he hurt those hips, he was one of the worst defenders I've ever seen in the Big Ten. So what's he going to be like now? I don't think he's going to be able to guard anybody. <laughs> and, and so if that's the case, then he's got to be a big-time shooter. I mean like a mid-40s or above guy mm. to justify playing him much at all. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to play him no matter what happens, at least for a while. But I I do not take it as any kind of given that Jordan Bohannon is A-OK and he gets plugged back in and it's just like it ever was. I don't see that. I think there's reason to be skeptical. And even if he's back kind of where he was before, that has its own issues because he can't guard anybody. So I don't know. I mean, offensively, if he can get back to the guy that he was, what you know you have is a guy who can hit shots, and he's a pretty good playmaker, Um, you know, passes the ball well. So he's got those elements. But, man, there are question marks here with this guy that – I don't feel I've gotten enough attention in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Uh, so then they also get uh, Jack Nunge back, uh, 6'10". He's a third-year sophomore. Um, only played five games last year before going down with an injury. Um, but, you know, coming off of an ACL injury, uh, a lot of question marks with him, too, coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the good news is, at least with him, you're not talking about a guy you were counting on to be an ultra-explosive athlete on the wing. You'd be much more concerned if he was that kind of player. He's kind of a Garza light, you know, guy with good size, about 6'10". He's added a lot of weight since he came to Iowa, but yet he's got a good skill set, you know, can hit a three, can shoot from range. Uh, so maybe it's a little – I'm less concerned about him at least on the surface, than I have about Bohannon. But I do think there's still reason to wonder, okay, how healthy is he? And we just haven't seen that much of Jack Nunge in the last, you know, 18 months or so. It's been a long time. He barely played last year. He played a lot as a freshman and had some ups and downs, but certainly showed potential. I just, if he's the guy they think he is, he's he's a weapon because he's, again, got, I'm not saying he is Garza, but he's got some similar strengths in that he has good size, decent interior game, but a face-up game to go with it. And so you can do a lot of things offensively with a piece like that. Uh, I think they need him to be capable of playing a lot of minutes, though, because they don't have a lot of size. They have no proven size outside of Garza. Mm-hmm. He's really it. So he's the only other guy. So they really, on that level alone, they need him to be capable, I think, of playing major minutes. Uh, so then Patrick McCaffrey, the other uh, son of Fran, 6'9 forward, um, is sort of coming off a recovery from thyroid cancer. Um, what are we expecting to see from him? Yeah, it's it's tough to know. You know, he's had so many health problems, and thyroid cancer being the biggest, of course, but there have been other issues too. 
he was a very he sat out two straight years basically. Um, very highly regarded player, more highly regarded than his older brother. Actually, he was like a top fifty recruit, six nine, but with good ball skills. And he's a better shooter than his brother. Um, his height means he could even play some four, but he could also he's got enough ball skills to play the three. Uh, it would just be good news, I think, if he could play, and I'm assuming that he will. The word is he's been healthy, uh, so he should help Iowa with his versatility. I, you know, to me, it's a big wait and see, though, because we just haven't seen him, despite the way he was evaluated. That's a while ago now, and he's had health issues, and we haven't really seen him compete at this level. But if you're on the optimistic side, he had a lot of talent, a lot of a lot of versatility. Uh, so then for newcomers, um, they get Josh Agundale, 6'11", 265-pound freshman uh, from the U.K. Yeah, and he's the guy that I think they're highest on. And, in, in you know, Fran has not been like a world-beating recruiter, but he's done a reasonably decent job at Iowa. If you look at his classes, they've been this one is is kind of underwhelming on paper. We'll see how it how it plays out, um, you know, in actuality. Sometimes those could be different things. But this kid is the one they're highest on. It's just, you know, big kid, has some athletic ability apparently to go with the size. They could use a little more size. But if Nunge is really ready to play minutes and can give them like 25 minutes or so a night, they may not need him much. Mm. You know, Fran, I think, is not a guy who, unless he kind of has to, I I could see him going with an eight-man rotation this year, you know. Hmm. We'll just have to see if that's how it unfolds. Uh, And then you got Aaron Euless, uh, 6'2 point guard, uh, and brother of Kentucky guards Tyler Euless. Yeah, a name that's certainly familiar to Michigan State fans. Uh, different player than his brother. You know, he's a lot bigger. He's probably about five inches bigger, uh, but not considered the same level of prospect, not the shooter that his brother was, but that, you know, a name that they're, they're optimistic can be helpful. I think more down the line starting next year, let's say than he is this year, uh, because they, they are pretty well situated at the point, you know, you have McCaffrey, you have Toussaint, Bohannon can play there if he has to. That's a lot of guys. Um, if they if they just decide they just need another perimeter body, then maybe Euless finds his way into some rotation minutes. But I'm thinking he's more play for next year and beyond mm. than this year. Uh, in, then they also bring in Tony Perkins, six four guard from Indianapolis. Yeah, very underrated or unheralded, I should say, recruit. I don't know about underrated. We'll see. You know, you just kind of always, you never know for sure. There's a lot of guys in Indiana that can play, but when you have a kid that doesn't have either an IU or Purdue offer in that state, that raises a little bit of skepticism. I just don't know. He was very much under the radar, uh, and we'll just have to see if he matures into an actual player. Mm. Uh, and then they, interestingly uh, enough, bring in Keegan and Chris Murray, who are twin um Sons of a former Hawk uh, and Battle Creek star. Yeah, the, their father is Kenyon Murray, who 
our some of our older fans probably remember. He was Battle Creek Central product, guy Michigan State recruited, uh, and they got his teammate David Hart, but they didn't get Kenyon. And uh, and Kenyon was pretty good. He was Mister Basketball. I think the year after the Fab Five, uh, really good player at Iowa. You know, I don't know if you call him a legend, but but certainly a guy Hawkeye fans remember well. And, and was a very, very good player for them. There's some controversy there, though, around Offer and his sons. His sons are bigger than he was. He was like 6'5". They're both 6'8", 2'10", and reportedly they've got some ball skills they can shoot, but there are questions about their athleticism, and I've seen some people question the wisdom of the offers, especially when you're taking two. Now, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But they were not... You know, Kenyon Murray was a guy who was on everybody's radar as a high school player. His son's not that. Mm-hmm. And so some Hawkeye fans, I get the sense, feel like this was a stretch. Yeah. So that's uh, it for the lineup, Rod. A lot of people have Iowa pretty high here. Um, you have them coming in at four in the Big Ten. Um, what's kind of like your overall – uh, take on on Iowa. I, I'm a skeptic, and it's it's not that I'm a it's not that I'm saying oh they won't make the tournament, but or they won't win a lot of games. I think they'll do both of those things. But I just winning championships is really hard. You know, Michigan State fans, I think, are so spoiled that they don't all realize that it's not an annual rite of passage. I mean, Michigan State's <laughs> working on a three-year winning streak, three straight Big Ten titles, right? Mm-hmm. And and Izzo had a, four, had a streak of four straight early in his career, you know, and has won a few sprinkled in there since then. He's won, what's he won, seven, uh, eight, nine. I think, he's, I think he's won ten so far in his career. Iowa hasn't won a Big Ten title since 1979. To put that into perspective, that's the year Magic Johnson, Greg Kelser, and company won the national title. <laughs> that's how long ago we're talking about since Iowa's won. And I don't mean – I mean a share of a Big Ten title. They haven't mm-hmm. won since then. And Iowa had some good teams in that period. For for the entirety of the 80s and half to two-thirds of the 90s, Iowa was pretty damn good under – they, Lute Olson was there for the beginning of it, and then George Raveling, and then Dr. Tom Davis for a long stretch. They won a lot of basketball games. They had a lot of big-time talent. Couldn't win a Big Ten championship. So when you're picking a team to win the Big Ten, the, the thing you have to start with, in my mind, is it's really hard to do. And, and the teams that do it typically meet a certain standard. And that standard is that they're pretty good at both ends of the floor. They can score efficiently, and they can stop you from scoring efficiently. Iowa checks one of those boxes, but not the other. And they never have under Fran. They've never been a good defensive team under Fran. You know, they were in the 90s last year. Mm -hmm. As I pointed out at the outset, the track record is not on their side unless you are believing that they are going to somehow transform into a single better defensive team, 
and I need to see that. I can in no way assume that because this group has never done it. This coaching staff has really never done it. So why would I believe that it just happens? Because people want it to? No. It's got, it's got to actually, you got to actually see it. And I look at their roster and I don't, in fact, not only do I not see reasons which suggest that they'll get a lot better, I see reasons where I think they might be worse. Because you're talking about two potential starters, one in particular in Bohannon, who I see great reason to think might be even more limited physically than he's been in the past. So how is that going to translate to you being better? Mm-hmm. I just, I've got a lot of skepticism on that end. Offensively, I think they're going to be great. Garza is a machine at this level, and he's got a bunch of guys who can shoot around him. That's, that's a pretty good equation. Iowa doesn't, um, doesn't turn the ball over a ton. They're pretty good valuing the ball. They've got, as I said, a lot of shooters. They have a great post presence um, and enough experience and depth that I think they're going to be really good offensively. But if you're going to win things, you're going to win a Big Ten championship, you're going to get to a Final Four, those types of things, I think that you need more than that. And I just... I don't see it, and I don't see that the new guys they brought in are very likely to bring much help where they need it. It's not like you could say, okay, but this this guy, this freshman, you're going to transfer or whatever. You're going to plug in on the wing, and he can give you 20 minutes, and he can defend. They don't, they don't have the pieces to make those kind of improvements. So it's got to come from within their own roster, and I just don't like those odds. I think they're going to be really entertaining to watch. They'll get people excited because people get excited by offensive basketball. But I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, and I'll take the heat in the spring. But, you know, I pick them fourth, and I just want to caution. I'm not saying fourth, and man, they're a mile behind Wisconsin. No, it might be a game or two. Mm-hmm. But if I've got – I think these four teams at the top are pretty close when you total everything up. And so if, if you've got to make distinctions between them, I think defense is a pretty good area because the other three in this discussion, Michigan State, Illinois, and Wisconsin, were all good to great defensive teams last year, and they've all got give you reason to think they'll be in that ballpark again. And I just don't see it with Iowa. Mm-hmm. The gap between them and everybody else at that end is much bigger than the off on the offensive end where Iowa's was the best, but I expect Wisconsin's going to be good offensively. I think Michigan state's going to be good offensively. And I think Illinois will be pretty good offensively. Okay. Well, that'll do it for the preseason breakdown um, of all the big 10 teams. Uh, and next up Rod is our first preview Eastern Michigan coming to the Breslin center after what seems like uh, a very long time of not having college basketball. (laughs) So, until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.